Now, family life as we enjoy it is one of the most precious gifts God has given us. It's a gift freely given to all people everywhere through the ages. From cover to cover, this book, the Bible, honours the family. Not only this, but through the centuries, the church has been the first to champion the family. Today, here in our church in Cromwell, many of our programs also seek to build up the family. We have uh, youth group and kids church, which are happening now. We have Rhythm and Dance, which begins this week, and the Parenting Toolbox, which will begin in a month or so. And they all seek to strengthen families. So we do well to spend time looking at Jesus and his family. Now, in the Gospels, there's not a lot, but there is more material than we can cover today. And so we're going to focus on this account as found in Mark chapter 3. We're going to start with an overview of what the Word of God says about family. And then we're going to dig down into Mark chapter 3 and look at Jesus' family and the intervention they attempt at Jesus. Then we're going to look at Jesus' surprising, even shocking response. And then we're going to try and make sense of that response, and then we'll look at the implications for us. So we'll survey what the Bible says about the family, the intervention that Jesus' mother and brothers try with Jesus, his response, and trying to understand that response. So, how is the family portrayed in the Word of God? Well, starting at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. And Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and they will become one flesh. So marriage first and foremost was created for companionship, friendship, so that man or woman need not be alone. But that's not all God had in mind when he created the family because in Genesis 3.20 we read, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all of the living. And this is the second reason for marriage, to bring up children. Companionship and children, God's plan for the family. Now we know that for some families they can't have children and we know about blended families and extended families and and all of these are represented in the Bible and are good. So Adam and Eve, they become one flesh and Cain is born and then Abel and Seth and more children. And as the Bible unfolds, we see the centrality and capture glimpses of delight within the family. Think of Abraham and Sarah and how hard it was for them to conceive, years and years. And then wonderfully, in Genesis 21, 2, we read, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. And in verse 6, we catch something of the delight when we read, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And a wonderful tender insight into family life. And we catch more of God's delight with the story of Naomi and her grandson. And we remember the story from the book of Ruth. Naomi's husband and two adult sons die. So Naomi is left destitute with just her daughter-in-law. So we have two widows 
in desperate times. Yet through God's great mercy, all of this is turned on its head. Doom and gloom is replaced by joy and laughter. Because Ruth marries a godly man, Boaz. She becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son. And Naomi is welcome into this extended family. So at the end of the book, we read in chapter 4, verse 16, Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the woman living there, that's in Bethlehem, said, Naomi has a son. So again, these lovely images of laughter and nurture in the family are recorded in the Bible. We are reminded of Psalm 68, verse 5, where God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing. God sets the lonely in families. Before we leave this brief survey, we are reminded that the family is even enshrined in the Ten Commandments. Commandment number five. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Exodus 20 verse 12. And we haven't time to look at the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles and how positively they portray family, how positively they build up the family which makes today's description of the interaction between Jesus and his mother and brothers so unexpected, so shocking even. And so let's dive into Mark chapter 3 and see if we can understand what's happening. And it starts with what we today would call a family intervention. So Mark chapter 3 verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Verse 21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. We can imagine Mary and her adult sons gathered around the family table one day. The conversation quickly turns to their older brother, Jesus, and what nonsense he's getting up to now. There's the crowds by the lake. There's the healings and the miracles and lately hostility with the religious leaders. The family had hoped that the fuss would all melt away, but to their dismay, it's getting worse. One of the brothers says, have you heard what Jesus is up to now? What's that? Well, the crowds are so pressing, so demanding, he doesn't even have time to eat. This seems to be the last straw. He's out of his mind, says one of the brothers. Mad as a maggot, says the youngest. He's crazy. And on it goes until someone pipes up, something needs to be done. And so they do. Off they go from Nazareth down to Capernaum to get Jesus and to put him straight. A family intervention. And it's into this context that we see Jesus' unexpected response. Picking up the story in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. So they arrive in Capernaum and they start looking for Jesus and finally they find him, or at least the house. It's so crowded that they can't get inside. And of all the people to be kept waiting, surely it would not be Jesus' family. Surely his family would have open access to their brother, to their son, like a a backstage pass, you know, those special cards you get on a lanyard that allows you behind the scenes in a concert. 
maybe even into the star's own dressing room. Surely Jesus' mother and brothers would have a backstage pass. But then, well, there's the crowds. People are jammed into the doorway and leaning through the windows. Maybe they're three or four people deep. So what can the family do? Well, they decide to send a message. Maybe they say to someone jammed into the doorway, tell Jesus his mother and brothers are here, pass it on. And so, like Chinese whispers, the message reaches Jesus. Verse 32. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Now here is Jesus' opportunity to publicly honour his mother and brothers. Here's his chance for a shout out to those who had made this day possible. He can fuss, welcome them, make room. A firm handshake and a manly hug for his brothers and a gentle kiss on the cheek for his mum. And then he could usher them at the front to pride of place. But instead, he ignores them. Not the slightest acknowledgement. He almost seems to slight them. For he says, verse 33, Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle round him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And before we look at what Jesus means, what he's getting at, let me point out how rude this would appear to the original readers of Mark. That Jesus did not acknowledge the family with respectful words and invite them to a seat of honour is the height of rudeness. In traditional cultures, even today, family is much more highly regarded than our Western culture. Even today, those from a traditional culture, when reading this, would feel the burn, the shame, the horror, much more than us Westerners. You see, our New Zealand culture puts the right of personal fulfilment above family. I mean, we say, no matter what my family thinks, my right to personal happiness, as I define it, is more important. So most of us Kiwis, we're not shocked when we read this passage, in the same way that those from a traditional culture are shocked. So those from maybe Vanuatu or Samoa, the Pacific Islands or Africa or Asia, they understand the insult much more than us Westerners. And it gets worse, much worse, because after this incident, there's another one that's recorded in Luke. Chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Goodness me. What's happening here, Jesus? Do I have to hate my father and my mother, my wife, my children, to follow you? What are you on about? So can you see here in Mark and in Luke how shocking Jesus' response is to his family? I mean, how will he make sense of all this? Well, let's see if we can. We'll look at the Mark passage first and then we'll come to the Luke passage. 
First of all, though, in these two passages, Jesus is not undermining the family. I mean, that's why I spent time at the beginning of this message surveying what the Bible said, just to reinforce that Jesus is not contradicting the Bible's view of family. Far from it. There are a number of times in his teaching and his actions where Jesus honours the family. For me, the most poignant The most moving, most heartwarming time that Jesus honours the family is on that first Good Friday. You may remember that Jesus is hanging on the cross and despite the sweat and the pain and the the blood, we read in John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, this is while Jesus is on the cross, He said to his mother, Dear woman, this is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. I always get a lump in my throat when I read that passage about how wonderful Jesus, how tenderly, even on the cross, cares for his mother. There are more examples. But rest assured that Jesus' view of the family is honouring and aligns 100% with his heavenly Father. So what's Jesus saying? Well, in both these passages, in Mark and in Luke, Jesus is ramming home one point, and that point is put God before family. Put God even before yourself. In the negative, Jesus is saying, don't put family before God. Don't make your family an idol. Don't relegate God to an add-on while you get on with the more important things in life that you want. And so in Mark 3, Jesus has just dismissed the religious leaders and the accusation that he is in league with the devil. Now the crowds are still hanging on to every word of Jesus, but it's not out of devotion. It's because Jesus is the best show in town. And so midstream... Jesus gets word that his family at the door. And so to shock the listeners out of their shallowness, he says, who are my mother and brothers? You are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will, whoever puts God first, is my brother and sister and mother. He's trying to grab them by the collar and shake them and say, don't just follow me because I'm entertaining. Obey God and then you'll be blessed. I'll be your brother. How amazing is that? So he's using shock tactics to get through to this shallow crowd. And we see this put God before family in the way that the Ten Commandments are arranged. Ten Commandments. What are the first four about? Honour God first. No gods, no idols. Keep the Sabbath, don't blaspheme. Number five is honour your father and mother. So the Ten Commandments are arranged that we put God first, then our family. Then, of course, the other five are to do with our daily interactions. So even the way that God arranges the Ten Commandments is to remind us, don't put family first. And it's very similar in the Luke passage. Crowds are following Jesus, not out of devotion, but out of fascination out of entertainment, out of wanting to see what miracle Jesus will do next. 
So again, to challenge their shallowness, to shock them, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then your devotion, your love for me must be so full on that other people looking in will think that you hate your mother and father. You see, Luke 14 is all about comparison. It's not love God and hate your parents. It's not love God and hate your parents. It's love me so much that your love for the family can sometimes, very rarely, now and again, be mistaken as hate by those outside. That's the sort of devotion that Jesus is looking for. Let me give you two examples to help make sense of this. When Judy and I were praying through our call to Cromwell, our family was a big factor. Judy's parents are ageing and they live in Auckland, the same city as us. Uh, During the call process, my father passed away after a short process, so my mother was recently widowed. Our daughter was doing a long and expensive degree in Auckland. (laughs) But still, Judy and I felt a really strong sense of call to come. And we're very glad that we followed the Holy Spirit's prompting. Now, when I told a good friend who I'd known for years about accepting the call to Cromwell, he paused. He looked genuinely puzzled. And he said, do all 27 people in Cromwell go to church? Isn't he rude? <laughs> eh? These Aucklanders, what do they know? I set them straight. <laughs> what he could have said, though, <laughs> what he could have said was, look, Douglas, Judy's parents are ageing, your mum's just widowed, your daughter will have to go flatting, and that will cost. Mate, don't you love your family? Don't you care? You see the comparison? He didn't say that, but he could have. And what about the other end of the time scale? Not with ageing parents, but with those that have children at home. What about parents who put their children before God so that on any Sunday morning in New Zealand, the sports fields are full and Sunday schools are empty? Making children idols, putting them before a genuine walk with God is the biggest spiritual issue facing young families, young Christian families today. Do you think so? Yeah. If it's not number one, it's pretty close, isn't it? And it's not easy. I certainly don't want to condemn any of the people here with young children. It's it's a real mission. But again, let me tell you a story. I was at dinner with friends in the holidays and they invited a couple that I hadn't met before and it turns out that this couple had gone to Bangladesh with a leprosy mission and they had three young girls. Our mutual friend had gone over to help homeschool for some of that time. Now what if this couple, when they told their friends that they were going to Bangladesh with these young children, what if their friends had said, are you out of your mind? You can't take these three girls to Bangladesh. Look at their age. Look at the risk. Look what they're giving up. Don't you love your girls? But they still went. And the girls are now young adults and and they're doing all sorts of neat things from uh, being a nurse at an accident emergency in Auckland and teaching and all sorts of things. But you can see what Jesus is saying here. 
Do you see what the implications are for us? Put God before family. And sometimes Jesus put it in such a way to shock us out of our shallowness, to shock us out of our complacency because we do it without thinking. Now, 99 times out of 100, honouring God and honouring your family line up. And there's no contradicting. And people on the outside can't accuse us of hating our family because 99 times out of 100 or more, God's word and honouring family, there seems to be no contradiction. But every now and again, God will test each of us about whether we will put our family before him. Now, much more can be said. And this is a difficult passage to come to terms with. But now we come to the communion table. We come to the family table, the family table of the people of God. So let's sum up where we've come this morning. We've been reminded that God's gift to us, to all people, is the family. From the beginning of Genesis, man and woman were to unite for companionship and to bring children up. And the Bible and the church through the ages has continued and will continue to honour and strengthen and uphold families. But with this honouring comes a danger. Our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are idol factories. And we look for substitutes for God. And often we put good things like our careers, finances, hobbies and family before God and make them an idol. We can put our children or parents or our spouse before God and when we do it means trouble, (laughs) big trouble because idols will eventually enslave us. They harm our walk with God and they harm those around us. And so Jesus' response today is to shock us out of making family, any family, an idol so that he can take his rightful place on the throne of our lives as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus, him and only him, is the one who captivates every affection of our heart. Let's pray.